Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. Performer, guitarist, songwriter and events organiser Chris B has been described by Time magazine as a tattooed fairy godmother of the Hong Kong scene. She's organised hundreds of live gigs, showcasing local and international talent and with her organisation, The Underground, she'd like to create a live music scene here that's comparable to New York or London. Her career began at age 10 on the back of a sofa, singing to an empty room. Her dad was British, her mum is Cantonese. She became Came well known in the early 90s with the successful band Sisters of Sharon, which narrowly missed out to Fei Wong for an award for a Cantonese song. As well as Sisters of Sharon, Chris B has performed with the Smoking Monkeys, Flowers of Babylon, Thinking Out Loud, Cockfight, Guitars and Panties, and Crank. So I'm Chris B. I have an organization called The Underground and, and actually a few subdivisions. And mostly we support local music, original music in Hong Kong because it's my home. I was born here, grew up here. So, so we've got a few shows coming up like rustic country and folk music. And then I've actually, you can hear it first, uh, we're going to do a heavy unplugged show at the beginning of September with like hard rocking bands unplugging themselves <laughs> so, so I'm kind of working on that um, internationally we did The Damned in February which was great fun that UK punk band and we'll probably do something what, next a tour year or? Uh, yeah we were their opening show of their oh, tour yeah. their 40th anniversary tour right they, um, they played the Royal Albert Hall last year sellout show you know I mean they, they're a punk band but really their music isn't actually really punk. It's it's all sorts, but it, it's really good. When when a band's been playing together 40 years, it really does show how tight, how good they are. show um, of their tour was Hong Kong so we did it over in Kowloon Bay Kai Tech and we had a local band the Pansies open for them like 17, 18 year old teenage band <laughs> whose idols are the damned so that was it's really good fun doing shows and promoting events yeah and we get visas for all our artists, international artists, just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> yes, that's a bit of a sticky issue at the moment, yeah. isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, what happens then if a musician just wants to come in and play for no money? I actually don't know that case. Um, I think it's okay. I think, I'm not a lawyer, it's okay if the venue doesn't charge, but surely if a venue's charging you to see Joe Bloggs, uh, there must be some sort of compensation, even if it's not financial, right? Maybe they're paying their hotel or whatever. So yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's definitely a, a gray area because struggling musicians, like, like the non-famous ones, it is great. I, I've done it myself. I've been to places with an acoustic guitar and go, can I, can I just sing in your restaurant, <laughs> right? And most people are really happy to have something different. Like I was just reading um, a friend's thing, he's gone to Nashville and he said, Nashville, 
absolutely everywhere there's a singer songwriter guitarist performing for you and they're all about the ages of 17 18 or 19 like it's just everywhere even for your breakfast in the hotel there's a there's a performance right i just thought how wouldn't that be great if we had that in hong kong these local bands but I think there are enormous challenges in Hong Kong you have been sort of describing how you want to create a music scene here in Hong Kong as vibrant as New York or elsewhere but uh, and I would imagine New York rent is pretty challenging but um, here in Hong Kong what are some of the challenges you're facing in Hong Kong to get the music out there um, as you say I mean I'm probably New York Tokyo even though Tokyo is high rent they have tons of live music venues right they all sound really great i think here people are i mean i understand they have to pay the rent right and it's high rent as you say so you know sometimes they may not end up booking quality acts because okay no offense to cafe pacific pilots but maybe it's a pilot band and they play for fun so 30 or 40 of their mates turn up and they consume vast amounts of alcohol to, to a, a bar with live music that's far more attractive than a you know than a taylor swift wannabe who's got an amazing voice and songs but three people come to watch her do, do you know what i mean i do understand that so it's challenging so when we do our showcases we try and put a band that we know draws a lot of people but we, we also want to aim for quality so we also we kind of push the bands a bit now we're gonna be famous we're gonna be famous we're gonna be famous got this uh, your next project then is or one of your uh, projects is this September Unplugged and if people want to know more where can they find out about that oh okay we've got a website undergroundhk.com 
And actually, this is, I mean, when we started our show 13 years ago, we, well, we, we thought we'd be like Q Magazine. Who remembers Q Magazine in the UK, right? You go to a show and there's a live review. So we'd review each of the bands, right? And, um, and, and admittedly, in the first couple of years, none of our reviewers were very serious. Like, <laughs> So we had very strange reviews like, oh, I can't review this band because I was in the toilet most of the time. <laughs> Okay, but we just published it because I, I actually didn't start the underground with any focus or business plan. It was just for fun bands. It was post SARS, right? So every so SARS, of course, in two thousand and three. Yeah. So so people had gone right, and everything was dead. It was really quiet. So along came us going. Oh, we got new bands, and new bands really can only play a short showcase, right? Because you know, because they're new, they only have a few songs, right? So, you know, we just started it and then bands started applying and I, during Zars, I'd learned HTML, how to design, something to do, right? So, so I made the first website, which is, oh, so ugly. Don't go to the internet, internet archive to look at that. <laughs> so ugly. Um, and we review bands, but so what's happened now over 13 years and, and the reviewers are more, you know, that's, some of them are real journalists, people absolutely into live music now. 13 years later and we've had over 550 bands play our showcases and of course some of them more than once because we we do have our favorites <laughs> and um so you get a review so in fact you and marie you might go oh I've, I've heard of this band i wonder what they're like you could go to our website if they played you just look up their name and you see all the reviews so you get an idea of what this band is like live so it's become like a an indie catalogue of Hong Kong bands with a sprinkling of overseas, like we did the, we cut, you know, we reviewed the Damned and things like that. So at a local level, then the live music scene in Hong Kong is quite vibrant. I actually think it is. I, I really do. Um, we have a newsletter. <laughs> the underground, undergroundhk.com is a newsletter you can sign up for, and every two weeks we send it out. And the most, probably the most attractive part to our subscribers is the gig guide. The next two weeks, the gig guide, and it used to be like. We started doing it maybe six years ago. It used to be like six or seven pages. It was 24 pages last week. I mean, we're not just doing the independent and punk ones. We include all the jazz. So there is uh, so, something about live uh, music. And that for you as a performer surely must be one of the best experiences. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I still love to perform. I, I organize far more shows than I actually perform. Um, but yeah, there's nothing like connecting to your audience and watching people like either dancing or, you know, if you're a more established band, you know, band people singing along to your lyrics. That's that's the highlight. And it's nice to play in different places. Part of the reason we started the underground was because um, in those days I was in this band, well, long, long ago I was in a band called Sisters of Sharon. It was an all-girls band and we played The Fringe every month and The Watch every month, right? And actually we played other, we got the opportunity to play in other places, but generally that was the only places we could regularly play in. And then when I was in new bands after that, I was like, oh no, I, must, I mean, I bless them, love them both, but I must have played in them hundreds of times. I'm, I'm seriously, you know, two or three hundred, like, like I can do it with my eyes shut, right? I've been with the watch since it's moved its stage around, added an entrance, do you know what I mean? It's like, so we thought, wouldn't it be nice to play somewhere we've never had experience? And the first five underground four or five were in joe bananas of all places right because we found out their house band didn't stop till midnight so they have all this gear on the stage so a friend of mine who who knew them he was the guy i started the underground with he somehow said oh they're gonna give us thursday night 8 p.m to 11 i'm like brilliant <laughs> right? 
And because it was really exciting for, especially for me at that time, to play somewhere completely different, like a completely different crowd. It, it's, you know, the sound, the di uh, acoustics, everything is different. And it's exciting. It, it re revitalizes you, even if you're playing the same songs you normally play, right? So then the underground's been through many places. Venue, which is now Amazonia. Le Visage, which closed down. The Edge, which closed down. I, I could list so many. The Cavern, bless the Cavern. That's now where the Hard Rock Cafe is. We loved the Cavern. <laughs> like, so, but it's really exciting for the bands, especially a lot of them are local Chinese. They'd be like, this is crazy. We're playing inside Lan Kwai Fong. They actually never, ever had that chance before. And it was exciting for them, right? Sisters of Sharon is how I first heard of you. Oh, I mean, really? basically, yeah, early 1990s. I've been abused. I've been mistreated. even a step further on that when you were a kid when did you did you just sing around the home when did you first it sort of really notice that you know I quite like performing I, I think I was the same age as my daughter's now 10 I used to stand on the back of the sofa um, and and you know sing to an empty room at the top of my voice and um, I think this was even god I'm showing my age pre-karaoke but I would put music on and sing loudly I'd, I'd, I'd do that in the local parks as a teenager like I think people thought it was insane but um but it was I just like I just liked performing so I got I was I think I started performing with bands from 17 onwards I yeah and playing music really like um more seriously from that age onwards you're <laughs> born and grew up in Hong Kong so where did where were you actually born I was born in Causeway Bay St Paul's Hospital <laughs> I was born on the island grew up on the island I grew up in Quarry Bay went to Quarry Bay school South Island school and who are your parents uh, my dad was Jack Babs. He was a prison officer. Yeah, so B. And my mom is Veronica. She's a local Hong Kong Chinese. My grandparents were from southern China because my grandmother was my grandfather's second wife, right? So my mother's number 10. She was 10 out of 15 children. So I have a large, extensive Chinese family and loads of cousins. And it's great, actually. It's really, it's really nice. And what do they think of your blue hair? <laughs> I think they're cool. I think my cousins think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cool. I'm not the only rebel in our, in our extended Chinese family. Definitely not. Your father was British? Yes, he was, he was from England. Yeah, yeah, from Bradford. Yeah. <laughs> and did your parents also, when you were singing on the back of the sofa, they encourage that? I think they just ignored me. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I never asked for lessons or anything. I didn't actually have lessons till I was old as, as an adult because I needed them at that point to just fine tune um, some flatness that I had at the beginning of my career. And I'm only sharing this because we have, a, we have a new band showcase these days called Shazza Music, which happens at the Wanch. And sometimes- What's it called? Shazza Music Showcase, right? And it'll actually be our 100th showcase in October this year. Basically four or five bands, generally new bands. And then I, I critique them via email personally. And every so often, every 
two or three months, we'll get a great band, but the singer goes slightly off key or flat, and then I'll go, don't worry, just take some lessons, because I know this from personal experience. You, it's, it's soul-destroying and more, you know, like, oh, my God, I'm a, I can't sing. But I took lessons, and it really... I don't do it anymore, and, and, not ha and I haven't done so for many years, and my voice really improved. Like, so you, sometimes you really do need lessons. You find out that Michael Jackson had lessons even after he was famous, so did Whitney Houston. It's not... It doesn't mean you're bad. It actually helps you, you know, sing longer, sing wider range, and maybe just do different styles you've never thought you could do, right? So, so yeah, please... Don't ever get discouraged if someone says to you, you need singing lessons, because they're really helpful, yeah. So I, I didn't ask for them as a kid, but I had them as an adult, and they didn't, they didn't I, th I don't think they, my parents were surprised when I eventually ended up in a band. They didn't really, because it was funny, there was a big age gap between my mum and dad. So my dad, my dad was into like the platters. Shirley Bassey. Gold so I grew up listening to that, and my mum was into the Beatles. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. Right, and Elvis. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show. So I grew up listening to that. So I really like the Platters and Shirley Bassey styles of, of music as well as all the rock stuff. So it's, yeah. And this was all in Hong Kong when we had, you know, like Sam Hui and the winners. <laughs> happening in Hong Kong. It was all covers, uh, uh, you know, like at the 80s, like Anita Moy was doing Madonna covers, right? You know, you'd hear the opening bar of like a virgin and you'd expect Madonna to be singing and it'd be Anita Mui in Cantonese, right? Stuff like that. So it's very strange music scene in Hong Kong. For Even though it was a British colony, we didn't get much British music, right? I think punk passed Hong Kong by. It, it was, because I guess it was a political thing, right? In England, it wasn't. Here we had the Bee Gees, bless them. <laughs> the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees were big. They were constantly putting on TV those Bee Gees videos, right? gold and America's top 40 this was what I was listening to like so and then <clears throat> I got an English boyfriend <laughs> so I started listening to what was really happening like you know the, the clash you know the Smiths real stuff so it was yeah I think Hong Kong this was pre-internet and everything it really was mixtapes word of mouth you know pick up the occasional melody maker and what the hell are they talking about because you know it was all very different when I was growing up in Hong Kong. London calling to the faraway towns Now war is declared and battle come down London calling to the underworld Come out of the cupboard, you boys and girls Yeah, it's interesting what you say about the, the music scene and, and all the, the various uh, influences. I mean, do you sing in Cantonese as well? I, I do a little bit, because actually I, I don't read or write Chinese. Only about 100 characters that I had to learn when I went traveling around China. Um, so, but I speak Cantonese fluently. So 
it's a real challenge. Like nowadays, it's much easier. You can just turn on the recorder on your phone, right? But in the old days, I'd be like, I write phonetically what I sung, and then beneath the phonetically, you know, way I'd spelt it, I'd have to actually write what I meant because, as you know, Cantonese is tonal. I could put, you know, like a say, but I'd have to write. Am I saying write or, or shoot or? <laughs> so you know, it, it was like three lines complicated. So. Um, I didn't write that many songs, and I uh, and I remember in the Sisters of Sharon we released our first album, and I wrote a song. It was like a 12-bar thing, and it was called Canto Roll. It was rock and roll in Cantonese, and there's one bit where my Cantonese goes ever so slightly off Cantonese, right? The amount of reviewers that critiqued that one, you know, those three words, <laughs> and were like, oh, dismiss the band as like, you know, and I was like, wow, people are so criti critical, right? So on the next, sister, I think the next one or the last one, we, we released three albums, Sisters of Sham, one, one on cassette, <laughs> and then two on CDs. Um, the last one had um, one fully Cantonese song and one bilingual song, and I made sure that when I recorded it that there was nothing, no one, and no one ever, ever commented on it. And in fact, the Wuifao in 2001 at the Composers Author Society of Hong Kong, CASH, of course, in Hong Kong, right? The society is going to be called Cash. <laughs> so they they had they used to have this award um, called Golden Sale Award, and it was for original music and stuff. And my song was released that year, so it managed to get into the final five. And I was against Fei Wong, LMF, and um, and funny thing was Fei Wong won, and she actually went up and said, I "Don't know why I'm in this category, and I don't know why I'm winning." It was best alternative, right? But it was really exciting for us because we were in that, and it was a Cantonese song. We performed it live, and in those days, we also broke the mold because they said, "Oh, you have to um, mime, right?" And we said, "No, no, no. We we actually don't know how to mime. We have to do this live." So we actually forced them. In, in the old days, people used to mime. They wouldn't have a band. I said, no, 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 we have to play it live. So since then, now when they have performances, people do play live. So we kind of broke a few few rules for them because I don't think we could have mimed. Yeah, and um, so that was in 2001. So that was very exciting to, to be nominated for a Chinese song. <laughs> What are your subjects often? I have a new band now called Krang, right? And it's like uh, Angus is on double bass and bass, Yan Yan's on guitar, Matt's on drums, and I'm, I'm on guitar and I write the songs um, and the lyrics. And we want to write one called Admiralty Hell because often when we're going to band practice, some of us go through Admiralty. I don't know if you've been through Admiralty at 6 p.m. on a Monday to Friday night. It is hell, right? <laughs> so, so really, I write about situations and I, I like writing about people's stories. I though. presume that Angus doesn't take his double bass on, no. the, on the MTR, <laughs> does he? No, no, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he actually has to get a minivan. And No, because <laughs> there was that whole fiasco. We called it Cello Gate. Do you, <laughs> do you remember when, when they wouldn't let you take your classical students? It'd be like, oh, God, you know, like, so, yeah, no, he doesn't. He has to hire, actually hire a van. So it's, it's complicated, but it makes it sound so good, some of the songs we um, we do like new new nu nu hyphen jazz new jazz new pop new folk um, it's, it's just 
play on words as well. Um, but it's fun, and there's not many bands using a double bass apart from the rockabilly bands, right? So <laughs> now, Time Magazine described Crispy oh, yeah. as the tattooed fairy godmother of the Hong Kong scene. How do you feel about that? And that was when the underground was five years old, right? It's underground, it's nice, 13. Um, I liked it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it was an honor to be, to, to, for, for them to say that really. And to, yeah, yeah, we were only five years, still, still quite all over the place, I would say. I think it was probably after that point that I suddenly thought, you know, like we could turn the underground into something better and bigger. I also worked with so many sponsors now. We're from everyone from Apple, Zippo, alcoholic sponsors like, you know, Jack Daniels. Um, we've been doing a Volkswagen um, Battle of the Bands, right? Because they, they really wanted to help. They, they like the fact that we help new bands. And, and the prize in that competition is recording time. And, and I know this is a fact as a musician. Recording, yes, I know you can do it on your phone, on your iPad, with GarageBand or whatever. But there's nothing like focusing yourself, rehearsing tightly and going to a studio and working with someone and recording your songs, right? It's exciting and, and it actually pushes you further with your creativity and because you can experiment a bit as well. So we're, that, that the, the main prize was that, although they get a couple of rock and roll trips in Volkswagens, you know, to and from a concert, <laughs> which I think all bands love too. You're gonna have lots of people saying that's not financially viable, get, get a proper job. <laughs> oh gosh, so true, right? And then to the ones who say it's not financially viable. In some cases it is actually, right? Especially those that work hard. When I was a teenager, I played music every day. If you're serious, you gotta play more and look for opportunities. And then about the financial thing, well, not everything we do in life is for financial reason, right? We don't go and watch a movie because we're gonna financially <laughs> reap a reward from it, right? We have some things we have to do to satisfy our creativity. Do you know, I have been in more bands with lawyers than any other profession, right? So <laughs> I've had more law intern students than any other. Uh, law and accounting interns are my biggest bulk of interns. You'd think they'd come from like stage management or promotion or marketing. No, they come from areas where they don't make, perhaps they don't feel enough creativity or satisfaction. So we all need different things in our life, you know. And I know I joked earlier about the Cafe Pacific pilots and stuff, but I've played with some great musicians who, who were pilots, oh, still are actually. So, I mean, I think not for everyone is it a financial thing. And for those who do want to turn it into a financial thing, it is actually possible. It really is. It's, uh, it's mapping out that plan and hopefully having support from your family as well. Cause the crantie's in our soul 
two ten-year-old. Uh, so they're twin girls. Yep, twin fraternal twins. So one looks like me, one looks like my husband. <laughs> yeah, they play ukuleles. So they play the ukuleles they play at the ukuleles. home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chloe at the moment is working with her friend on "Eye of the Tiger" by Survivor. <laughs> it's like I never thought I had hear that song so many times. <laughs> so yeah, very retro, right? So yeah. <laughs> Are you a bit of a snob? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, no, it's actually, by, because I've been listening to that, I actually realise it's one of the most, it's a really well-constructed song, totally relates to the Rocky film, and it's, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if they write great, well, I'm sure they write great songs like this today. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Be there, the driving force behind the underground, which organises hundreds of live events and festivals here. To find out more about the local live music scene in Hong Kong, go to the website undergroundhk.com. That's undergroundhk.com. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>